I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Hi, I'm Ryan Helfenbein with the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty here on the campus of Liberty University where Christ is King, church is essential, and freedom is everything. Before there was ever a church or a steeple, there was always a people of God that God had made for the explicit purposes of worship. In the Old Testament, God raised up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in order to make a nation of priests and a royal priesthood, a people for himself. He called them Israel. He instructed Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they might worship me in the desert. Today, religious freedom is under assault in ways that we would not have predicted in America with the advent of the COVID-19 quarantine, administered largely by the state, career politicians, and unelected officials who do not understand or appreciate the free exercise of religion guaranteed by the Constitution. Is worship really essential? We sit down with Charles Billingsley to talk about a theology of worship on the Falkirk Center podcast starting now. Hi, welcome to another exciting edition of the Falkirk Center podcast. And I'm joined this day with uh, Charles Billingsley, veteran, songwriter, Grammy-nominated lead vocalist, as well as a teaching pastor here at Thomas mm. Road Baptist Church. Charles, welcome. Thanks, Ryan. Good to, good to be here. I've never, never had the privilege of doing this show, so it's, it's an honor. Thanks. Uh, well, I'm honored for you to be here. And, and, and you know, this summer, Charles, it's, it's really interesting. We as a nation have been uh, given a, a whole host of challenges. Uh, we, back in April, and you go actually mm. go all the way back to March. It's incredible mm. just to think. It was all the way back in March and April. We had the, the COVID-19 scare. Mm -hmm. um, you experienced a little bit of that, but, uh, and I want you to talk about that, but it's really interesting how that led to a lockdown. Mm -hmm. You had governors across different states that were, were, were issuing all kinds of stay-at-home orders that were really mm -hmm. challenging churches. Mm -hmm. And then just, just a couple of weeks ago with what the tragedy that, that came out of Minneapolis and also mm -hmm. in Louisville and elsewhere, then you have protests that then went into rioting, mm -hmm. uh, and um, many cities uh, were having trouble with law and order. Right, right now, we're seeing this play out in Seattle. Yeah. And what was interesting about all that is that now, you know, you had public health officials saying, no, 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 you cannot go into church, you cannot worship, you can't come together. Uh, but then, oh, you can go and protest. Protest, mm -hmm. you can have 100 people mm -hmm. in a building. You can't have more than 10. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, talk a little bit about that just from your experience, just seeing this play out, you know, as, as a pastor and as mm -hmm. somebody who's devoted your life to songwriting, to worship, to lead, leading congregations and singing. Um, what does worship mean to you and why is it essential? Well, there's a lot to that. You know, um, of course... Um, as I'm laying in a hospital bed a couple months back, mm. dealing with COVID-19 myself, I'm I'm screaming at the TV, "Open the country!" You know, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's been crazy, and mm. uh, and you know to see the limitations put on churches and yet at the same time not put on protests and all this, it, it, it just makes you wonder how politically charged all this stuff really is. And, and it is, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a clear double standard in so many areas of our country. And then in other areas, there's not, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's much more uh, 
uh, clearly defined and there's and there's a lot more rest and peace honestly in, in other areas of the country where I don't think we have these double standards running wild but uh, it's been incredibly frustrating as a minister at a church to drive by Kroger and to drive by Home Depot and see the parking lots packed with cars yeah as many as people can go in there as they want and, and just real quick on that I never once saw Kroger Walmart uh, and of course, Kroger, you got to go get groceries. Mm -hmm. Lowe's, Home Depot. I was there because it was open mm -hmm. and it was amazing. I never once saw them slow down, not one time. No, and of course it was because they were deemed essential. Right. Um, but yet worship is apparently not. And mm. that's where we would uh, have a, an extreme different opinion with uh, a lot of our government officials because to a believer, mm -hmm. one who claims to follow Christ, worship is absolutely essential in our lives. Now, there's two sides of that coin. You can yeah. worship as an individual, yes. which means, you know, as, as, as yourself in your home or driving down the road, you know, worship is not just singing songs in a congregation in a church building. Mm -hmm. It's actually much more than that. Worship is a lifestyle, a lifestyle of loving God. And really worship, if you really want to get down to a true definition of it, you can look at the first and greatest commandment mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus referred to in, 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 and you'll find it in Deuteronomy as well. But uh, the great commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So uh, that to me is the purest definition of worship, just to love God. Mm -hmm. So do you have to do that in a church building? No. Is it essential to worship God that you have to, it has to take place in a, in a synagogue or in a, or in a Baptist church somewhere? No. But at the same time, it is very essential for believers to mm -hmm. have community and to gather together. Right. In fact, the Bible uh, commands it. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourself. That's together. right. So yep. many of us uh, always have deemed worshiping as a congregation an essential practice. Now, uh, can we do it safely with all of the, the rules and regulations with the social distancing and all that? Yeah, we can. And, and Thomas Road, we're proving that you can do that mm -hmm. every week. Um, I think these social distancing rules, uh, again, have become a bit of a double standard since mm -hmm. you can protest with thousands of people in the streets, like the pictures we saw in Philadelphia a couple yeah, of weeks ago with tens of thousands of people nose to nose and that's there's right. no problem. That's but right. yet we got to stand 10 feet from each other in a church building. That's right. Um, that is creating a, a real issue in the hearts and minds of lots and lots of people, yeah. uh, especially churchgoers. So mm -hmm. uh, is worship essential? Absolutely. I think it's the reason we were created to mm -hmm. begin with. In fact, um, Colossians chapter 1, the Bible reminds us that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Amen. We were created for bringing glory and honor to Jesus. So uh, you can do it as an individual, but you also do it corporately. And it's an important thing for us to gather corporately uh, week in and week out to worship the Lord God um, and to put strains and restraints around the church of God uh, is um, at some point going to have to be loosened up or we're going to have some real, I think you'll have some issues of civil disobedience at some point down the yeah, road. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. I want to I go back on something though. You mentioned um, you did get COVID-19. Yeah. Just what, you know, for there, there, you're the only one, by the way, I've talked to that has had it. Well, now, now that is, many people have gotten it. I'm not saying that they have it. Many thousands and mm -hmm. thousands and thousands, scores mm -hmm. of people. But you're the only one here in Lynchburg that I've met that has actually gotten it. Mm -hmm. So 
what just your experience with that? I mean, you know, it, you know, what what was it like when you went through it? How long did it last? And mm. well, you know, I've heard some people say, "Oh, I don't really think that's a real thing," and all this, but it really is a real thing. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, 116,000 people, I believe, is the number today that have died from this mm -hmm. virus. Um, but I was one of the few in our area to actually yeah. uh, come in contact with this thing, and I don't know how I got it. People have asked me everywhere, where did you get it? I really don't know. But um, none of my family got it after being with me for three weeks in the house. For Somehow they all stayed negative. Same house, didn't leave home, <laughs> yeah. and they didn't get it, but you had, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my wife was up in that little quarantine room I had every day, three, four times a day, you know, mm -hmm. bringing me food or whatever, and never got it. Wow. Um, but for some reason, it hit me really hard, and mm -hmm. uh, it was my anniversary that night that um, I came down with a fever, and that fever was persistent and consistent all the way for 24 days. Um, mm -hmm. I averaged about 103 103.5 mm -hmm. uh, degree temperature for uh, <laughs> what seemed like forever. And um, all I could take was Tylenol. Then uh, at some point, my doctor gave me a Z-Pack and that hydro, um, what do they call that medicine? Oh, Hydrochloroquine, uh, yeah. Yes, chloroquine. Yeah. And, um, and I went through two rounds of that and yeah. didn't really do anything. Um, but then one day my doctor came over to my house and he, he listened to my lungs and then he said, could you walk across the room just for a minute? And I walked about 10 steps across the room, came back. My oxygen level was like at 83. And he goes, man, you've got severe double pneumonia. I got to put you in the hospital. And I said, when? And he said, right now. Mm. I said, oh man, are you kidding me? So this was after 12 days of that persistent uh, fever. Yeah. And now I'm heading into the hospital because this thing's gone into my lungs. And wow. that's when that virus really gets dangerous is yeah. when it goes into your lungs. And so I ended up in the hospital as a precautionary measure. I, I never, never ended up on a ventilator or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and even that's become a controversial thing because hospitals get more insurance money when they do that. Uh, and, sure. You know, and then the, the death rates of people on ventilators is really high. Mm. Um, so it's um, the whole thing comes, you know, with controversy at every at every sure, angle, certainly. really. But I know one thing: I was laying in that hospital bed and and. Um, and I didn't feel real good, mm -hmm. but after 24 days, I finally, wow. my fevers went away, and I had to deal with blood clots in the in the from my knees down in both legs for seven or eight days, and that was probably the worst part. Gosh, and that was yeah. after the hospital. Wow. But you know, when you're laying in a hospital bed and you're totally isolated, which I think is one of the worst things about this virus, and really any condition that somebody has medically right now who ends up in the hospital, it's not just a a physical thing you're dealing with. It's an isolation. It's a. It's an emotional, and a um, and a really a psychological thing that you're dealing with as well because you really have no, you have no support, no nobody mm -hmm. near you, and so um, I think that's part of the issues uh, that we're experiencing even in our culture right now. I mean, obviously we have the racial tension, but there's also just built up tension. Yeah. Period. Because totally. people have been cooped up in their houses for months. That's and, right. And so, you a know. A lot of people I, out of work. And, oh, yeah. 41 million people yeah, out of work. It's insane. And, yeah. And so with all that stuff uh, comes a lot of issues and they just get escalated and it just gets, you know, compounded upon when you uh, add in the, uh, the, the mindset of individuals who have just been cramped and cooped up in their homes for months. Mm -hmm. and, and I was kind of getting to that point too. I was pretty restless in that hospital. Um, 
and I knew I had to make a decision. Either I can get bitter or I can get better. Right. And, um, and I just decided to go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where Paul reminds us to not be anxious for anything. But instead, with all prayer and supplication, make your request be known to God with thanksgiving. Yes. And, and that is really when I turned the corner. I stopped asking God to heal me, and instead I started praising God for healing me whenever He chose to. Mm. And I stopped praying about my will being done, but instead His will being done. Amen. And boy, it, you know what it did? I turned the corner with this disease, not physically, but mentally and spiritually and emotionally, when I just started to worship the Lord again. Yeah. And it's amazing how when you're at the depths of the valley, yes. if you'll learn to worship God there, mm -hmm. then it makes all those mountaintop experiences a lot easier. Amen. Um, uh, there's a great quote by T.W. Hine. He said, if you praise the Lord on the mountaintops and don't do it in the valleys, yeah. um, that's just praise of your feelings. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then it reminds us God's worth is way deeper and infinitely more powerful than our circumstances or our feelings. His worth doesn't depend on our mood. Yeah. Uh, he's worthy all the time. And I had to relearn all that in the depths of the valley going through this COVID-19 stuff. That's awesome. So you you went through this experience. It is real. You have a mad amount of respect for it because mm -hmm. you know the, you know that it, it is it's painful and it's deadly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet, in all of that, you're saying... Your argument is churches do need to get together. Churches do need to be be open. Obviously, practicing caution, quarantining yes. when when necessary, uh, but churches should be open. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I, I want to then take take your experience and what you just said about worship, and looking at this particular moment, this challenge for the church in this culture. I feel like Charles, there are some pastors who don't necessarily understand what it is to be prophetic mm. at a time when people need to hear from the Lord mm -hmm. rather than, you know, it's almost like a pastor going in and saying, what is it that you want? Mm -hmm. Rather than what is it that you need? Mm -hmm. And what you want is you want me to say the opinions that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. What you need is you really need maybe a prophetic word from the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, thus saith the Lord, stop doing that. Mm -hmm. You need to repent, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm looking at this moment and I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing sort of the worst uh, examples of woke Christianity on display, mm -hmm. quite honestly, mm -hmm. where it's more important that a pastor be sensitive to mm -hmm. the culture mm -hmm. and empathize with the culture rather than speak the word and speak the truth and just let the chips fall where they made. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the difference between love and non-love. I mean, loving mm -hmm. them with the, in the spirit of God and speaking prophetically the word of God in truth, all that being together and intact versus capitulation. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, you were, you were chatting a little bit over the weekend and I, I mentioned... Um, you know, uh, there was this moment where Moses goes up on the mountain, <laughs> received the law of God, mm -hmm. and he's up there a long time. Yeah. And children of Israel are, are looking and they're saying to Aaron, your brother's dead, man. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I think he's dead, mm -hmm. you know, because that mountain is on fire and mm -hmm. it is scary and mm -hmm. people are going to uh, die if they go up the mountain. He is probably dead. We need another representative. And so in that moment, he scrounges as the priest of God, right? Mm -hmm. Who's supposed to mediate. Mm -hmm. Instead of giving them what they needed, mm -hmm. 
He gave them what they wanted. Mm -hmm. What they wanted wasn't truth. Mm -hmm. They wanted a false representation. Mm -hmm. So he gave them a golden calf. Mm -hmm. I can't help but feel, Charles, in this, this moment, there is a great temptation in the pulpit to capitulate to the culture, mm -hmm. to say the things that the culture wants to hear mm -hmm. rather than to speak the truth. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I just love to hear your, your thoughts or even reaction to that. Well, I think that's been going on a long time. Yeah, not, not yeah. Just, uh, you know, Not just in this day and age, but really throughout history, whenever the winds of culture begin to change and blow really hard, yeah. uh, that's when uh, you're tempted as a leader to win friends yeah. rather than speak truth. Mm -hmm. um, all leaders lead to me in one of two ways, either driven by vision or mm -hmm. driven by fear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, those are, that's a great example you just used out of Exodus 32 when, when uh, Aaron, because of the fear of the crowd riding, yeah. Yeah. honestly, quite that's honestly, right. mm -hmm. uh, and uh, perhaps even damaging him or killing him, yeah. uh, he he capitulates, he, he falls to the whims of the crowd. And here's the funny part. He takes the jewelry that God had given them from the Egyptians yeah. <laughs> uh, that made them wealthy, by the way. Right. Uh, and, he, and he creates a God, not a different God. It's a God that represents Jehovah God. Right. But it's... That's an important distinction. I don't think... Yeah. Explain a lot that of people think quick. it's yeah. a pagan God. That he, no, it was yeah. actually a God that... And Aaron even says this. He right. says, no, I, I was trying to let them uh, see the God that we worship. Uh, they wanted a God they could hold on to. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. In the process of creating a God they could hold on to, mm. they lost fellowship with the God that was holding on to them. Mm. And that's what happened. And then Moses comes down the mountain yeah. and he's gone longer than they think he should have been gone. Right. They think that God's representative is no longer around. Like you said, he's probably dead. So we're going to choose this guy. We like him because he's a leader who does what we He's innovative. Say he should do. <laughs> right. Right. And That's we right. can, and yeah. And yeah. so he's, uh, he's more culturally relevant for sure. us right now. He's this progressive. Is, and he's, and he's yeah. doing and making these decisions yeah. based on how we feel mm. right now. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't feel that way earlier in, in Exodus, yeah. but now they feel that way because certain things have changed. And because of that, they're reacting in a certain way. And most of it's emotionally driven. Right. And so Moses comes down. And then God, of course, is very upset with the people. And, and, and it's interesting because a little change happens in chapter 33 where God says, look, you can go into the land of milk and honey. You can go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Mm. And that's when Moses began to go out way outside of the camp day in and day out to the tabernacle and he would pass by all the people who would stand at the front of their tents and they'd watch him go in this tabernacle and he'd spend all this time with the Lord. And in the process of all that, he says something really interesting in Exodus 33 because when, you, when yeah. you mentioned that to me, I went back and looked at a sermon I'd written. Yeah. And, and, um, and here's what happened. Moses says, look, if you don't go into the promised land, mm. I'm not going without you. You know, here's the thing. God would have allowed them to go into the promised land and they would not have been helpless. But the difference is they would have been hopeless. Mm -hmm. And Moses says, God, I'm not going to go into the promised land without you. I desperately need your presence. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems that you're getting at in you're mentioning this ideal with the pastors and all this stuff that's going on is that 
we've gotten real good at doing church without the presence of the Lord. Bingo. We don't need Holy Bingo. Spirit to do anything. Amen. Instead, we can get up and do a culturally relevant, really nice little sermon that has to do with what's going on with all the issues in our nation and land, and that's great. And some things are being said that are really good. The problem is, unless the Holy Spirit mm. moves in a powerful way in our churches and across this land, then we've lost our country. Amen. We've lost our land. Amen. And you have to preach sermons that are driven and inspired by the Holy Spirit, not just your cultural preferences or, or pandering to the opinions of people who don't know the Lord or who aren't walking with the Lord. Yes, amen. And so take that moment, the tabernacle of God, Old Testament, it, it is representative of, of literally uh, the presence of God among the people. Mm -hmm. um, this is the heavenly place. I mean, you enter into that tabernacle and you're in mm -hmm. the throne room of God, right? And um, now you go into the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Um, he, he takes on flesh, the Word incarnate. Um, now He's dwelling among the people and He's here. Um, is the li living tabernacle of mm -hmm. God. Um, he goes to uh, the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And so he's confronting her. This is a moment of truth for mm -hmm. her, mm -hmm. uh, reminding her of the fact that she has seven husbands, mm -hmm. right? All of mm -hmm. this. But then the, the, he talks about worship, and then she says, well, your people worship on mount, uh, this mountain. The, mm -hmm. Samar the, the, the Samaritans worship over here. And Jesus says that an hour is coming mm -hmm. when uh, no longer will we worship on this mountain or that, but we'll worship God in spirit and in truth. True. And that's exactly what you're alluding to. Mm -hmm. um, a theology of worship mm -hmm. is what is needed. You're a teaching pastor. Um, you're obviously a veteran uh, you know, musician, mm -hmm. a songwriter, artist, all of that. How important is worship to the local church? Well, it's absolutely essential. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's funny. We have worship departments and churches and, yeah. and everybody relegates this idea of worship in our worship services to the music. But worship is so far beyond music. In fact, if I had my druthers, I would never have a worship department in a church because mm -hmm. then you're compartmentalizing this idea of worship when really worship is exactly the whole reason we're all here. This is the essence of our existence as believers is to worship the Lord. That, mm -hmm. that is it, period. Mm -hmm. Now, we do that by a variety of different means. And then when you come together corporately, yeah, we do sing songs together, but isn't the offering time a much more sacrificial time of worship than singing songs? Mm -hmm. I mean, people never look at it that way, but worship is so beyond just singing songs. And it's absolutely essential to get your mind out of that and into the idea that worship is a lifestyle of loving the Lord Jesus in and through everything we do, everything we say, the way we spend our money, the way we invest our money, mm -hmm. uh, the people we hang out with. All of that has to do with worshiping the Lord. And you know, that, that little moment that happens in John chapter four between Jesus and the woman of the well, you know, to her worship had become a uh, divisive cultural thing. Yeah. You do it this way, we do it this way. And then it also become an issue of, um, of proximity or place. Uh, you do it there, we do it here. Yes. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead and the 
temple. Yeah. Uh, the, Matthew 27, the, the, verse yes. 51. And the veil Rips torn. In two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then suddenly what Jesus was saying, no, 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 now you can. Now you can mm -hmm. all come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen. Because before the sheep were dying for the shepherd as a way of sacrifice, but now the shepherd has come and died for all the sheep, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, the Samaritans, the Jews, the Gentiles alike. And you know what's cool is, when you really begin to discover what it is to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And by the way, you cannot truly worship the Lord if you don't have both of those elements. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's amazing to me how you, you can get in some churches that are really grounded in truth, but yet there's no life. There's, right. there's, no, there's yeah. no life. And then you get in other churches that are just really lively and emotionally charged, but there's no truth. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's the balance of the two that bring together to me true worship. And mm -hmm. that's what Jesus was saying to her. It's not By the about way, a place. John, uh, his letter to the Ephesians, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the seven churches. Mm -hmm. And the church at Ephesus was rooted in truth, but they had forsaken their first their love. First love yeah. And so the passion was gone. Yeah. Just the, the, the zeal of the Lord was gone. Yeah. And so they had all the, you know, <laughs> like, like maybe like the Bereans who studied the scripture, you know, inten mm -hmm. intensely, but then they miss those other, other elements. And I've been mm -hmm. there. I've been in churches that are like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah lifeless because mm -hmm. they have a, a knowledge of the truth, but for some reason they've never allowed themselves to express it from the heart. Mm -hmm. And you know, worship begins in the mind, but it's expressed through the heart. So it's both those things. Yeah. And when you have a, a combination of both those things, a healthy combination, what it'll do is it'll drive you to, um, what I call mountaintop experiences uh, with the Lord, even when you're walking through the valley. I mean, mm -hmm. I was walking through this COVID-19 thing and it was a deep, dark valley for me physically, but I had some of the greatest moments of worship I've mm -hmm. ever had. And here's the coolest thing about those mountaintop experiences with the Lord and as you're worshiping Him. You know, when you get to the top of a mountain, I don't know how much mountain climbing you've done, but I haven't <laughs> done much. a lot. Me neither, but I did I've climb. I've watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I climbed. Did you see the one about Yosemite, the, the, the park, oh, uh, the free solo? Free solo? That documentary? Yeah, that dude is. Oh, it's insane. I mean, that, he's like a, he's like I've a watched that movie three times. savant of some sort. You yeah, know, it's, this, it's. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you. Right. But I was just in Yosemite. Yeah. And uh, I was standing at the bottom of El, know, Capitan. El Capitan. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, wow, this dude, that's amazing. It's like but, granite, you know, solid, yeah. slate. Like, oh, it, like the, trying to climb glass. ledges like the size, the, the thickness of it's this insane. paper. But you know what's cool is you get to the top of El Capitan and you look around. Yeah. And you realize that you're standing on just one peak. Mm-hmm amidst a vast array of other peaks. Now here's the cool thing about worship. Worship is, can always be a wonderful mountaintop experience, but, but while you're there, I would encourage you uh, in your worship experience with the Lord, when you hit a mountaintop, um, look around and enjoy it. Mountaintops are great, but the air is usually pretty thin. Yeah. Nobody lives up there. <laughs> and you don't look around and see a lot of cities built on mountaintops. Yeah. And it's because the valley is where we live and we learn. Yes. So enjoy the mountaintop, but to get from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop, 
<laughs> you got to go back down to the valley. Yes. And it's in the valley that we really learn to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I've had to learn that the hard way, mm. but it can be incredibly rewarding. You mentioned something else. We were talking off camera and you mentioned, uh, you know, Romans chapter 12, mm -hmm. to present yourself as living. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to mm -hmm. present yourself as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Yes. But I, I would I, talk about that because you were, you were mentioning that, you know, here we got this mountain. Yeah. And is, 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 did you already say that? Or I, I would love no, for you just I, to I share just, that. Well, I wrote a sermon about Romans 12, 1, yeah. just 12, 1, because I'd love to go back and finish it because 12, 2 is about the transformation of our minds. Yeah. Um, but I use the mountain as an, as an analogy because uh, there's a guy that, that's a young kid. His name is Jordan Romero. And mm -hmm. when he was, his goal was to climb Mount Everest. Actually, his goal was to climb all seven of the top peaks of the world before he was 16. And so at the tender young age, I think at 14 years and nine months, he had, he ascended the top of Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. And uh, ironically, the first thing he did was call his mom. <laughs> that's yeah. what he did from the top of Mount Everest. But um, I used his story as just sort of an inspiration for um, this this simple thought, you know, in order to climb any mountain, you have to take the first step. Yes. And, you know, Paul in the book of Romans builds for this, this, this mountain of theology and doctrine through the first 11 chapters. But mm -hmm. then when he gets to the end of chapter 11, verse 36, he just kind of throws his pen down and takes a praise break. And he just gives glory and honor and praise to the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then he goes from all that doctrine and theology he built to practical application starting in chapter 12, verse 1. Mm -hmm. And he says, therefore, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in light of all this, yes. present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. And to me, what he was saying there is, okay, I give you all this truth. Now, this is the very, very, this is base camp in your Christian existence. This is where you start right here. Mm -hmm. And from here on out, you take one step at a time and you begin to climb this, uh, this uh, worship experience in your life. And, it, and it's a lifetime. It's not mm -hmm. just uh, something you do on the weekends. This is the everyday yes. thing. Lifestyle <laughs> for your whole life. Yeah. And yeah. there are going to be valleys and mountain experiences mm -hmm. all throughout. You know, I heard one time someone, a pastor, put it this way. You know, a lot of people like to talk about it like it's ascendant. But sometimes, you know, the, the Christian walk is like this. Oh, I mean, yeah. you're going to have the highs and the lows. And God is, is faithful throughout it, even when we are not. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Real quick, as we, as we kind of wrap up, Charles, I would love just... What are some of your favorite memories? You've been doing this for three decades. And we yeah. didn't even hardly get into... The music career, but I, yeah. I would love just, you know, share I mean, just anything with some favorite memories, um, some of those experiences well, that you had. You know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is when I lost my voice. I, I had a, a uh, polyp develop on my left vocal fold and I couldn't sing anymore. Mm. And I'd been doing this now at that point for 20 years and mm -hmm. um, I've done, goodness, over 3,300 concerts and over 3,000 churches and been around the world and sung in every state and just about every denomination you can think of. And, and I tell you, the most memorable moments to me are not related to singing, mm. but they are related to worship. In fact, when, when I was dealing with this polyp on my vocal fold and I had surgery, I, I couldn't make a sound for five days. And, 
And a, a Sunday fell over that five-day period, and I went up to the Blue Ridge Mountains, where I always go to fight with God. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, That's everybody good. needs a place where you can just go fight it out with the Lord. Yes. And I was sitting at a picnic table up there in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and uh, I had one of the most healing and wonderful worship experiences of my life, and I couldn't utter a sound. Mm -hmm. uh, other moments, you know, whenever I'm in front of a crowd and sometimes I'm teaching them about worship, I'll say now, um, how many of you, your greatest worship experience in your whole life was in a big concert or a crusade or a conference, you know, big 3,000 people in the audience, and not many of them raise their hand. And then I'll say, all right, well, how many of you, your most powerful worship experience was either by yourself or in a, or in a little small gathering around a campfire or something mm. like that? And, and then the hands go up. It's like, okay, so why is that the case? I, I tell you why it's the case. It's because... It's when we're still and quiet before the Lord and in a situation we are allowing to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us that we really place ourselves in a situation to where we can experience true worship. Um, I'm not saying it can't happen in a concert or a big crowd. I'm just saying it's more common when you're by yourself or in a small mm -hmm. crowd because the, because the distractions go away. Right. Um, what I'm longing for in the church of the Lord in our nation especially is for us to rid of all the distractions mm -hmm. so that the Holy Spirit is free to move. Mm -hmm. uh, to create an environment in our worship services where we are able to hear the Lord. I love it loud. I love it energetic. I love it powerful. I love the lights. I love the smoke. I love it all. Yeah. But every once in a while, we just need to let the Holy Spirit Preach. do His work. Mm -hmm. And I think we're missing that in a great many of our churches. And so as a result, you get a whole lot of people that show up and enjoy a wonderful production, but they miss out on the power of his presence. Mm -hmm. And the power of his presence is the one thing that as believers, we have the privilege of experience, experiencing that the, the world with all of its money and production cannot replace or mimic. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Only God can move. And what we need more than anything, Ryan, mm -hmm. is a movement of God mm -hmm. in this nation. Mm -hmm. Amen. I think if you'd had that, um, instead of rioting, we would, we would experience more, more praise. And, and instead of uh, the mean-spirited comments, we'd see more love. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I just, uh, it's a heartbreaking time in our nation. It really is. I've, I've never seen anything like it. I don't think anybody in our generation mm -hmm. has or no. may ever again. No. Yeah. So uh, we need to pray and yeah. we need to uh, seek revival and let's, let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's presence to be free to move in our midst. Amen. Well, Charles, as we, as we close, what are, uh, how can we find you? So the viewers and listeners uh, might know where to look. You, um, and then you know, Twitter or, or, mm -hmm. or Facebook or website, you know, if you don't mind. Yeah. Share that with um, let's see. Twitter is at C Billingsley with the yes. S-L-E-Y. You got to remember the E. Yeah, that's um, right. And then, um, you know, I have Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Um, Perfect. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't do a whole lot yeah, on social that's media. Good. But, that's actually but smart. I do, you know, I, yeah. I'm afraid of anything I say now is sure. just, it's a It will be taken world. out of context and used against you in the court of human opinion. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you're so right. <laughs> right? Um, right. I, I will, uh, yeah. I'll mention one more thing to you. You know, yes, you sir. asked me about a specific moment. Mm. One that comes to mind, I think, is relevant to people who might be watching. 
um, I was doing a concert and on the front row, I don't know where, I don't know why I asked this, but I asked the question, have, have, have you ever been lonely? And there was a little girl sitting on the front row and she had not looked up the entire night. Mm. And when I asked that question, she looked up and she shook her head like this. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it struck me, man, you know, and the, that memory comes to mind because I, I just feel like in the midst of all the, of all of the, you know, isolation and the being by ourselves and the quarantining and all that, mm-hmm. I'm very concerned that loneliness and despair is entering the hearts of many people mm-hmm. and why we have our suicide rates and everything going up. So, Ryan, I would just, that memory comes to my mind because I feel like somebody's watching here today who is lonely and mm-hmm. desperate and in despair. And mm-hmm. if you are, I just want to remind you, turn to Jesus. He's the only hope you got. Amen. I'm going to let that be the final word. Charles Billingsley, thank you so much for joining the Falkirk Center podcast. Thanks for having me. So thankful for you and God bless you.